You are listening to Love, Maine Radio, hosted by Dr. Lisa Belisle and recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland. Dr. Lisa Belisle is a writer and physician who practices family medicine and acupuncture in Brunswick, Maine. Show summaries are available at lovemainradio.com. Here are some highlights from this week's program. Yeah, so you might have a black tea and say they're from the same variety of tea plant, but if one's grown at a really high elevation and one's grown at a really low elevation, that's going to change the flavor of the tea, even though they're processed the same way. I knew in my heart for myself what was so powerful about tea was how good it tastes and smells and how powerful that is, how it makes you just stop and experience it without experiencing anything else. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to Love, Maine Radio, show number 230. Tea Time, airing for the first time on Sunday, February 14th, 2016. Tea is one of the most popular beverages in the world. We Mainers love our tea and have many ways in which to enjoy this healthful and nourishing drink. Today, we speak with Ray Marcotte and Ellen Kanner of Dober Tea, and with Sarah Richards of Homegrown Urban Tea, about types of tea, how tea is best enjoyed, and what specific benefits we may derive from drinking tea. You will love this informative episode. Thank you for joining us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Apothecary by Design. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines prepared by experienced professionals with a focus on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled, you need attention, advice, and individual care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way that it's meant to be. Experience chef and owner Harding Lee Smith's newest hit restaurant, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Maine seafood at its finest. Joining sister restaurants, the front room, the grill room, and the corner room, this newly renovated two-story restaurant at 86 Commercial Street on Custom House Wharf overlooks scenic Portland Harbor. Watch lobstermen bring in the daily catch as you enjoy baked stuffed lobster, raw bar, and wood-fired flatbreads. For more information, visit theroomsportland.com. Having lived in Maine for many years and having been a tea drinker for most of my life, it was really wonderful to experience um, a place called Dobra Tea when it first opened a few years ago. And today with us, we have the owners of Dobra Tea. This is Ray Marcotte and Ellen Canner. They own Dobra Tea on Exchange Street in Portland. Inspired by a visit to a Dobra Tea Room in Burlington, Ray and Ellen wondered how they might open their own in Maine. Having done everything from farming to teaching yoga to software design, travel photography, and film production, Ray and Ellen were up for yet another adventure and opened a tea room in 2011. They moved to their Exchange Street location in 2014. Thanks for bringing Dobra to Portland. Hello, thank you. Thank you. We're very happy to have you here Mm -hmm. (laughs) again. (laughs) So the first time that uh, I went to Dobra, before it was on Exchange Street, I was really struck by how how kind of calm it was, how mellow it was. And it, there really was this community feel to it that you, you can get in a coffee shop, but it's just a different, it's a very different vibe to it. Tea has a very different vibe to it. Did that occur to you when you were thinking about opening a tea room versus a coffee shop? Definitely. 
Yes, it definitely did. Uh, I also had wanted to open a cafe and create that community space. Um, and the, the, the pace of coffee is kind of grab and go. And tea, it forces you to slow down and take some time for yourself or a friend. And that's, that was, yeah, definitely, that was the uh, interest in opening it. And it was very intentional making the space calm as you walk in. You know, the music is not something that you might be familiar with. You might hear like world music. Um, soft furnishings, um, lots of nice scents from the spices that we're brewing for the tea. Um, so it's an intentional space to create calmness. There are also a lot of <coughs> choices, but they're very tangible choices. Mm -hmm. When you go to a coffee shop, you look behind the person who's serving the coffee and there's choices on the board. You go to your tea room, and there's actually, you can actually pick up and look at and smell and hear our actual tea leaves that will be made into tea. And there's something really different about that. Is that part of the appeal for you? In yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I would say the interaction with the tea. Um, and that's one of the reasons we, when we happened upon the Dober in Burlington, we're like, wow, look at all these teas. We're so limited in the United States to what we can have access to. and. Uh, they had a similar display of tea options and, and you're just looking through all these little honeycombs and they're like, wow, this is fascinating and we've got to share this. So that was, so that so interactive piece uh, was a big part of it. So I don't think the average person realizes that there's hundreds of varieties of tea, you know, so we have that honeycomb display as you walk into the space and you can see what the different tea leaves look like. Um, the different, not only different classes of tea, but some that are rolled, some are not rolled, some are smoked. And they all look very unique. Well, let's back up a little bit for people who don't know this. Tea, some of the things we think are tea um, are really not tea at all. Right. Tea actually comes from a very specific plant, which yeah. is a, well, I'm going to let you talk about that. Well, the scientific name is Camellia sinensis, or the genus species variety is Camellia sinensis sinensis, which is the small leaf variety. Sinensis is Latin for China, so the China bush. And then Camellia sinensis asamica, Asamaka is Latin for Assam, the region in India. So that's the large leaf variety. And there's hundreds of sub-varieties within that. So if something is actually tea, it has to come from the tea plant. Whereas if you drink, say, like chamomile, that is, we call that tea, but it's really a, a herbal concoction tisane. or a tisane. And when I have some limited knowledge of teas, and part of my limited knowledge is there's white teas, there's black teas, there's green teas, there's pu'er teas, there's oolong teas. Does some of this also have to do with the way that teas are actually produced? Yes, yeah, so the, there's six distinct classes of tea. The one that you left out is yellow, um, and they all come from the same plant, so what makes them different is the way the teas are processed. Some are heated, some are rolled, some are withered. Some are steamed. It all depends on how the tea is, what they do with the tea leaf once they pick it. And that's what makes it become the actual tea. And then you also have um, factors that come into play even greater than that, which are uh, where the tea is grown. So terroir, yeah. something that's very yeah. common in wine. Tea is more like wine than coffee. Uh, I always say because you have the environment, the sunlight, the soil, uh, you have the location, uh, you know, on the planet. Uh, all this can factor into uh, the way a tea leaf, how it comes out uh, with flavor and um, and then how it's the processing. Yeah, so you might have a black tea and say they're from the same variety of tea plant, but if one's grown at a really high elevation and one's grown at a really low elevation, that's going to change the flavor of the tea. 
even though they're processed the same way. So what would be the difference in processing, for example, between a green tea, a black tea, and a white tea? So with green tea, the, the main thing that keeps it green is the heating element because uh, the tea leaf is filled with enzymes and if you don't if you don't heat the enzymes they're gonna um, that's the way to keep them green and then if you um, have an absence of heat then the tea leaves will turn black Oxidate. so it's all about oxidation, oxidation. Um, and oxidation is affected by heat as the very first step in tea production and what would a white tea be so white tea is the least processed class of tea. It's they, they essentially just uh, let the leaves wither and then they dry them, usually in the sun. So it's really v very little processing involved in white tea. And white tea tends to have less caffeine than a green tea and a lot less caffeine than a black tea. Does this also have to do with the processing? Well, there's a lot of myths actually out there about tea. Um, the level of caffeine in teas, you know, you'll read on a box like this tea has, you know, 20 milligrams, this tea has 70 milligrams. It really comes down to um, the reason a certain tea might have less caffeine than another is because we use hotter water with black tea and we steep it for a longer amount of time. So it's going to extract more of the caffeine from the tea. It's not that the tea itself has more caffeine. So it's really about steeping and, and water temperature mostly. Except if a tea is just from buds or tips, then it does in fact have more caffeine because the, the tip of the tea plant has a higher concentration of caffeine. And a greener tea that's freshly picked yeah. uh, will really have a lot more caffeine even though there's a perception that it might not, but right. uh, it does have uh, and it's and when they're really fresh, it's it, it's quite a jolt. <laughs> we've, we've tried. So a green tea can actually be more <clears throat> enlivening than a black tea, um, most definitely, especially in the, if it's freshly picked in the spring. And this is it's interesting because what you're talking about is basically opening up an entire enormous world. Versus, mm -hmm. can I have a cup of tea and somebody hands you a Lipton bag? Right. And those teas are fairly highly processed, and it's essentially kind of tea leaf dust. Yeah, they call it dust in the tea trade. It's it's basically the byproduct of whole leaf tea production. So once they're done, it's the stuff they sweep off the floor and put it into tea the bags. Fannings. They call it fannings or dust. That's yeah. very disturbing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> most of the world's tea is actually dust or bag tea. It's over. It's like ninety-six percent whole leaf tea production is very small. Um, your tea room, Dobra tea, um, even though we think about tea from China, tea from India, we think about drinking tea in Great mm -hmm. Britain, Dobra actually did not come from any of those places. No. Uh, it came from uh, our, our business partners are Czech, so they're in, based in Prague. Uh, the, the Czech uh, culture does not have a tea, did not have a tea uh, culture. So um, this is something that they brought in after the Velvet Revolution. Uh, they there was you couldn't drink tea, good quality tea in the Czech Republic uh, when it was Czechoslovakia when it was, Czechoslovakia. It was communist. So the um, there was a lot of uh, they, they they explored all these teas and they ended up really bringing in tea rooms like they have there's thirty in Eastern Europe now. So the culture was something that was developed in the last twenty years, but it's not inherent in Czech culture. Right. And no. dobra is a Czech word that means good, so good tea. 
There is something about tea. I mean, we've described the actual tea itself and its properties. And we've described the, the community aspect of a tea room. There is something that's very um, mindful about, that you have to be very mindful in creating a cup of tea because you've already described if you're going to do a black tea, you have to steep it so many minutes. But if you're gonna do a white tea, you don't steep it quite as long. But there's something in the creating of that tea and also of the drinking of it where we all have to slow down. Yep, slowing down. And um, a lot of people don't realize that whole leaf tea, you can actually re-steep. And if if you're not re-steeping it, you're you're actually not tasting the entire tea because you you wanna re-steep that tea three or four times, depending on the tea. It changes over time. Um, like if it's, say it's a rolled tea, it takes a little while for those leaves to open up and release the oils. Yeah, most black tea is steeped once, but we have several, uh, one from Korea and mm-hmm. um, uh, another one called uh, Jinjin, which is from Yunnan, uh, province of China, and that one is re-steeped. that's my favorite, um, also known as Golden Buds. And so those are two black teas that are uh, restable. Most black teas, most aromatized herbals are not restable, but the greens, white, yellow, oolong, mm-hmm. and puer are. Why do you think that we have become so interested in tea compared to, in the United States compared to where we were, I don't know, say 15 years ago? Well, it's actually really interesting. Um, I read this factoid uh, about millennials, and they're the first generation to drink more tea than coffee. So I think it's just um, there's something in our culture where folks just want to slow down and not be uh, it's so fast-paced and with uh, so many different devices out there that can call you at any minute and ask you to do something. Tea just forces you to be quiet and take time. I think it's, a, it's something that can bring you back to sort of an old world culture because we're sort of at this 21st century breathing down your neck. Everything is at your fingertips all the time. So it's a way to um, just, as Ellen said, slow down and, you know, take in the moment. In looking at your backgrounds, um, you've done so many things. <laughs> you, you've been in academia. That was part mm-hmm. of your background. Yeah. You've also done farming and yoga, software design, travel photography, film production. So you have a broad variety of interests. Mm-hmm. And what you're describing about tea is that there's kind of something for everyone there. There's a historical aspect to tea. There's a health aspect to tea. There's a production aspect to tea. Cultural. Cultural, community. There's so many things about tea that might appeal to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the I, I, what was the defining moment for you when you said, you know what, I j- whatever we're doing right now, we're just going to put that aside? Uh, well, we were living in... Hanover, New Hampshire. I was working at Dartmouth. He was working at a small college in Western Mass. And so we were kind of living this life of him driving down and back for two years. Uh, And we found ourselves in Burlington at this tea room and we're like, wow, this is chill and this is great. And we had been looking for something just different um, Mm -hmm. and moving back to Maine. I had been wanting to move back to Portland for a number of years uh, because I had moved away in 2000 and I was working at MainToday.com in the Press Herald. So I helped to start up a couple websites there. And um, we were just, I really wanted to move back. And I wanted, you know, we kept coming back and we kept traveling here. And and it was one of those things where everything, we, we, went, we went into the Dobro in Burlington and everything was like, wow, this is it. And everything fell into place. Mm. We, uh, we were there in a blizzard in 2000, 
9, February. Uh, We made contact with the owner, and by May we were in Prague meeting with our new business partners. Um, And then 2010, we moved to Portland. And 2011, early 2011, we opened on April 1st. So it was, um, it just all fell into place. And that's, that was it. We knew. So we were just ready for change. We just want, you know, we knew it was a big risk, but we just took it and everything's been great ever since. And we still do some of those uh, things, you know, we still do, I still do web development. So it's still Mm -hmm. part of our lives. It's just Mm -hmm. that the tea room is, was the the magnum opus, I guess. (laughs) And it's the last time I was um, uh, in your Exchange Street store, it was packed. I mean, it was wall-to-wall people, and it, maybe it was because it was it was around Thanksgiving. I don't really know exactly what the day was, but um, people really just enjoyed being there. Mm-hmm. And I, I was, I don't know that I was surprised, because I've always liked your store, and I've always enjoyed going there myself. But the fact that it could attract um, from off of Exchange Street, where you could pretty much you could go get popcorn, or you could go to a bookstore, or you could go to one of a few different coffee places. They chose the tea room. Did that surprise you that people would be so drawn? I don't know. I figure I think, we we were really drawn to drawn to it initially, you know, so we're like, I think we're onto something. I, I, myself, I'm pretty sensitive to a space, so I walk into a business space, and often I find them to be really hard and cold. And sort of wanted to make Music. something different, make it softer. You know, I have a background in meditation, yoga, so sort of bringing in that element. And so, I mean, I think everyone needs to calm down in some sense. So just coming into that space, I, we hope you feel that energetically. So you'll be drawn to come back. And it, the interesting thing is that it brings people from, you know, really young children with their, with their mothers. Um, teenagers love to hang out there because, you know, there's no alcohol. Um, older people, elderly people, it sort of is a great space for, you know, for all ages. Do you find that different types of people are drawn to different types of tea? Or can you ever think to yourself, Mm. that person looks like she might like a green tea? You can never do that. I don't think so. No, you know, no. I mean, there's some people that will come in and just order a chai every time and we're kind of like, try this. No. But that's part of our job, mm. I think, yeah. is to re-educate the public. Because, I mean, everyone knows about chai, but not everyone knows about tea guan yin, this, this oolong. Or, so, you know, something that's this amazing oolong that has all these floral accents and tastes incredible. So I think it's our job to sort of broaden people's horizon with tea. And that's what that honeycomb display on our countertop, I feel like that is really, that helps in that area. And we we give classes. We do classes where they can, you know, do nine tastings. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, and we we do uh, first Friday tea tastings as well. So Mm -hmm. that we put a tea out for that or a couple teas. So it's it's something where we have the opportunity for people to taste teas or uh, explore deeper in in a workshop. Yeah, just, I think that education piece is key. Um, because there, I mean, tea has this sort of mystery around it. You know, everyone knows Lipton and, you know, iced tea, but there's a whole other world to explore. What have been your most popular teas? Um, I would say when we first opened, definitely things that people can pronounce, such as vanilla. Um, (laughs) But now, you know, we have a lot of regulars that we've, again, we've educated and they've explored. And we have a little tea tasting sheet that you can kind of check off as you go through the teas. Comment when you had it, what it tasted like. So you can kind of go through the list. Um, But definitely in the beginning, I would say more of the, you know, vanilla, Earl Grey, things we've all heard of. 
But now it's really diverse. It's, it's sort of place, all yeah. over the place, mm-hmm. especially in this new space, which I think is much more visible to more people. Um, we have a big connection now with the Press Hotel, mm-hmm. and that's really helped as yeah, well. Yeah, they're serving our teas in up at the Press Hotel. So yeah, what are so some of exposure. your what are some of your favorites? What are some of the ones that you as individuals really uh, like? Well, I like the Yunnan Golden Buds, um, but also the oolongs are very interesting. They mm-hmm. have the greatest degree of oxidation, so they can be more tend to be more green and floral all the way to a, a, a more tobacco flavor, like a, what you might find a wulong in a Chinese restaurant. So they have a, quite a range and within that. And so I, that's my, one of, I would say is my favorite. I like greens as well, especially in the spring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have a favorite. I mean, I base it on, you know, the time of day, um, the season. You know, in the morning I might have Maybe a black tea, but sometimes I'll have green tea. It kind of depends on how I'm feeling. Um, I really like matcha, which is becoming really popular these days. Um, it's fine powdered tea where you're drinking the whole leaf, so it's really good for you. Lots of antioxidants, vitamin C. Mm-hmm. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Matcha is very interesting because it actually requires a little whisk. It's not yeah. you can't put it in a tea ball or in right. a tea sleeve. You actually have to. There's a little bit more production. Yeah, of there's a there's a it's called a chasen or a tea whisk, so it's a bamboo whisk. Um, I mean, you can use like a, an egg beater type thing, but it doesn't work nearly as well. Yeah, when we were People in Japan, tried to do yeah, that. Yeah, we were in Japan. Um, we actually uh, went to uh, see someone who was making these chasen, and ha- and mm-hmm. the work that goes into them it was pretty. Pretty, pretty crazy. Pretty amazing. And they had big ones. They had ones that were like you know two feet tall, just as an example. Mm-hmm. And they had the smallest ones. It was pretty wild. But it's, they're all made out of one piece of bamboo, so really fine cuts mm-hmm. and really, really labor-intensive to make. Has the fact that green tea and actually now pu'er and black have received some um, acclaim as having health benefits, has that helped your business in any way? Definitely. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. People come in and um, ask us, you know, what might this tea be good for? What might that tea be good for? Um, the, the, I think the most studies that have been done are on green tea. Um, you know, the fact that all, all tea from the tea plant has caffeine, but it also has theanine, which is that mind-calming amino acid. So you get, you know, you get that lift from caffeine, but you also get calmed down at the same time, which you don't get in other caffeinated beverages. But yeah, and anything from the tea plant has uh, lots of antioxidants, um, vitamins, minerals, um, really good for you. Yeah. And then white tea, I know there was uh, some, maybe Dr. Oz or somebody was talking about white tea. And I know this, yeah. you noticed a peak in, in white tea requests. So yeah. that was. Or Puer. Puer was really big yeah. with him. Because Puer yeah. is known for helping with digestion. And um, so, yeah, we had this real spike when that sort of was on in the media. Yeah, we recommend Puer when people come in on a Saturday morning after a hard night. We recommend a, a Puer because <laughs> yeah. it's good for digestion and fat burning mm-hmm. and such. Yeah. Yeah. Cholesterol. Which There's is, been lots of studies. Yeah. With Puer. Yeah. And there's an interesting thing that has happened with tea in that um, it used to be, especially if you're going to have a thing of Lipton, you put in your two mm-hmm. packets of Splenda. Not, I never did this, but two packets of Splenda and yeah. your cream. But what you're describing is if it, it's going to be hard. If you're going to drown the tea itself with right. lots of stuff, it's going to be hard to actually taste it. Yeah, yeah. we don't suggest any ad- additives to white, yellow, green, puer, or oolong. We, it's straight up. So um, black tea, uh, you know, I know people. We know people have that tradition from the English. 
um, in putting, or actually mm -hmm. tradition from the British, in putting milk and sugar. But the reason they did put milk and sugar is because they didn't have the quality whole leaf tea. So they had the fannings, and so that... Um, so they're trying to cover up that cover bitterness. Up. So, But if you have a good full-bodied black tea, you know, you don't necessarily need milk. Not that you shouldn't drink it with milk, it's just, I think something, we have it, this happens all the time, people will order a black tea and they want that milk and sugar and they end up not even using it after drinking the tea. So that, that's happened a number of times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, many times. Yeah. And you, uh, I think about the, myself with the black teas, especially the tannins and the mm -hmm. sort of a, the astringent nature yeah. of the tea. That's yeah. often why I'll put a little honey in there. Yeah. I, I have to admit I'm not always a purist. But, mm -hmm. but then when I go back and drink a white tea straight up, it's really amazing. It's amazing how some of them can be very floral and some of yeah. them can be very green and mm -hmm. very different. It, yeah. it it's it's like having a different type of wine or right. a different mm -hmm. type of mm -hmm. coffee. Yeah. It is that yeah. terroir that you're describing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the like the white tea uh, by Moudon, which is also known as white peony, that one, to me, uh, in a cup turns a brown color and it has more of a nutty flavor, which is not l at all like its white counterparts, uh, Yinzen, which is a, a silver needle. So um, and so there, in the, within the white tea class, you have two very different. Yeah, and the silver needles is, as I mentioned, outcomes. it's the tip only, those buds only. So that, in theory, would have a higher amount of caffeine because it's just from the tip of the plant, even well, though it's white tea. Now, what about the tea ceremony? This is something that we think we've heard about from um, Eastern cultures. Is this something that you've observed or been part of yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. there's a Japanese tea ceremony. There's a Gung Fu tea ceremony. We actually have a workshop coming up. Um, our one of our employees, Tristan, is actually quite into Gung Fu tea, and he has done one in the past, and he's going to be doing another one. Um, and the, the Gung, tu, Gung Fu tea is more about whole lot of, whole lot of tea and uh, brewing that in quick steeping so that you get a more robust flavor um, so but there is the traditional ceremony like the Japanese uh, tea ceremony with the napkin folding and the movement and we experienced that in Japan and we've actually had folks um, there's a lady here locally um, Hiroko who has come and done uh, yeah. done it in our old space but I think it's too hard for her to now yeah do she's it. she's getting older she said it affects her knees because there's a lot of kneeling so can't seem to get her back to to do the ceremony but she's been in a couple of times and we actually had a woman from Wayne Fleet do the Gung Fu Chinese ceremony mm -hmm. but I think she's moved away and you can order the uh, Gung Fu tea tasting yep. at um, our tea room I know in the tea room. yeah so we have that you can order the Gung Fu you can uh, pick any oolong and have one of our employees perform the ceremony for you. So yeah, it's a combination of washing bowls, little bo uh, washing cups and the tasting yeah. uh, cup and uh, the sniffing cup and then in hot water and then there's this, pr you know, there's a whole s process to it. Um, and it's using tongs and... Um, You're basically sharing tea with, yeah. with somebody and it, gong fu means you use a lot of tea to a little bit of water so you're really getting the essence of what the tea tastes like. That's the real purpose of it. You're just sharing tea with someone. Mm -hmm. Well, that's actually one of my favorite things about having gone to Dobra is usually mm -hmm. when I'm at Dobra, I'm there with one of my daughters. Mm -hmm. And my son actually goes there too. He's a little, um, he's 22, so he doesn't, he's a, more with his girlfriend. But mm -hmm. when I go with my daughters, even the 14 year old who's been going with me now to tea rooms for many, many years, She'll say, I would like a silver needle tea, or I would mm -hmm. like a white peony, or I'd like a jasmine pearl. And she used to, when she was very young, she would, be, she would just ask for chamomile. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to, in her mind, she's just sort of incorporated this knowledge mm-hmm. and incorporated these tastes, which are so subtle compared to a mm-hmm. lot of what we eat and drink in this world today. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think that's there, true. I don't know, there must be something sort of, I mean, if she's 14, then, you know, she's digital native, grown up with things at her fingertips, everything's right there. I look it up really So maybe she wants to just (laughs) kind of slow down, you know, and sort of experience something. Innately. Really different. Yeah. 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 I know that actually for for children and younger folks, we always suggest um, uh, herbals if they don't want caffeine. So... Mm Uh, so the chamomile, lavender, tulsi, peppermint, mm-hmm. or is, you know, rooibos is very common. Um, and if they like spice and, and are adventurous, then we offer the a masala, rooibos, or something. But so they they all start without you know n- not many young youngsters like caffeine or look for caffeine. Their parents don't want them to have caffeine. Right. So. Yes, I think when we first started, I was more than happy to have her have just chamomile. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. didn't need to be any more activated than that. Well, I'm excited to go back now having, uh, every, every time I talk about tea, it makes me excited to go back and, and find out more about a new tea that I can try. I know the people who are listening will want to go to Dober Tea. How do they find you? So we're located at uh, 89 Exchange Street, which is Upper Exchange Street. And what about a website? Dober Tea, uh, it's uh, at www.dobrateame.com. Well, I appreciate what you've done bringing your tea room to Portland and having experienced it several times and hoping that I will experience it many more times in the future. Um, It's good stuff. It's good what you're doing. And I'm glad that you were in Burlington that night and made the decision that somehow this was this was going to be your life change. So, yep. So this is good. (laughs) This is good. Thank you. Tea impacts us all in really positive ways. We've been speaking with Ray Marcotte and Ellen Canner, who are the owners of Dober Tea on Exchange Street in Portland. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by Berlin City Honda, where the car buying experience is all about easy. After all, life is complicated enough, and buying a car shouldn't be. That's why the Berlin City Honda team goes the extra mile by pre-discounting all their vehicles and focus their efforts on being open, honest, and all about getting you on the road. In fact, Berlin City recently won the 2015 Women's Choice Award, a strong testimony to their ability to deliver a different kind of car buying experience. Berlin City Honda of Portland. Easy. It's how buying a car should be. Go to BerlinCityHondaME.com for more information. Love, Maine Radio is brought to you by MacPage an accounting and management consulting firm that believes the path to success is paved by their ability to build lasting, meaningful relationships with their clients. MacPage, accessible, approachable, and accountable. For more information, go to macpage.com. Today, it's my great pleasure to speak with a longtime member of the Portland community and entrepreneur and healer. This is Sarah Richards of Homegrown Herb and Tea. In her tea shop on Munjoy Hill, which she has owned since 2006, she concocts her own blends, often referencing Ayurvedic medicine and Western herbalism. What you're doing is fascinating stuff. It's been interesting to me um, as a, I believe I first read about you probably when you um, opened your shop in 2006. And at the time I was earlier on in my um, experience as a doctor. And it was kind of the first I had heard about Ayurvedic medicine. You were one of the first people in this area to start talking about Ayurveda. 
Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Um, Well, uh, you know, I think like so many things, it was probably prevalent, um, but hadn't yet come to the forefront of um, alternative medicine and modalities in our community. But when I started learning about Ayurveda, it was for me this really pivotal time in my herbalism. I had been making tea for a long time from a really Western perspective. And um, after, you know, all those years of doing it that way from sort of a, you know, the way Western medicine always approaches things, it's isolate the active compound and concentrate it um, and consume as much of it as you possibly can. there were these big missing pieces and I felt them really intuitively in what I was doing, in how I was helping people, just in making tea for friends and family. I, I could feel sometimes that um, a blend I made to people for a cold, for example, um, would be really effective and well-received by one of those people and, and not have the same effect on the other. And Just over time, I started to feel like, oh, I don't think this person needs that, but I don't know why. I just felt it. And when I started learning about Ayurveda, it was initially for my own healing. I was teaching school and was having skin problems and um, asked a coworker who had beautiful skin what she used, and she lent me this book about it, and it was just absolutely just eye-opening to me in every way and just made so much immediate sense and logic um, that I um, immediately took it in. It was kind of, I always compare it to learning how to play guitar or learning to speak Spanish or to speak a foreign language. It's like you learn initially the notes and the chords and then you get to play a song and actually express yourself. And Ayurveda really feels like that to me in my tea making. It's, I have, I have, you know, when I discovered it and started learning about it, I had all those basic building blocks of knowledge about plants and their medicinal value. And then I got to discover their energy and how to apply um, the active compounds in a way that can be Um, received in a healing way by the recipient. So it's just um, endlessly fascinating to me. I never feel uh, I've mastered it. (laughs) Um, I always feel uh, like I'm getting to a different layer of it. And um, I see it in the world around me, everywhere. It's just the most beautiful, cohesive element in my world to me. So I'm really grateful (laughs) for that moment when she gave me that book. It was absolutely life-changing, and it came at a time when I was super disappointed about my career. And so it was just this beautiful sort of serendipitous thing. You grew up in New Sharon. Mm Mm-hmm. So you're a Maine girl. Yeah. My experience as also a Maine girl is that herbalism isn't necessarily a career path that people are encouraged to to go on. Mm -hmm. How did you find, I know you were a Spanish teacher also, how did you find yourself interested in herbs? Um, I have always, since I was a little kid, loved to to cook and loved to concoct things. 
I had a friend growing up and we would make all these crazy drinks all the time and then record ourselves making commercials for them. We'd give them names. And so, and then I became um, a, a waitress and a bartender and worked in food service from the time I was 15 until my early 30s. And um, the joy of that work was always for me giving somebody something delicious that I had had a part in making, like whether it was just simply how I buttered the toast and it, you know, it thrilled the customer. Like I just, that has always given me joy, that piece of it. So, um, you know, I remember when, you know, my first like two or three years teaching and when I finally decided, okay, I'm not going to bartend anymore. I'm not going to, I had a little diner job on the weekends and I decided, you know, I, I'm so over this. I'm just going to focus on my school teaching. Um, I remember saying to myself, I'm so done with that. I'm so burnt out. I'm never going to do it again. And, <laughs> you know, here I am and what I do is so much a reflection of all the good parts of that work for me. But, you know, in terms of herbalism specifically, I started making tea when I went to college and someone gifted me an herbal encyclopedia and I would have an ailment and just be, I was fascinated with you know looking up what herbs might be helpful to my ailment and then I would get other herbs to mix with it because alone they generally tasted terrible and then I would look up the herbs of those aromatic look up the medicinal value of those aromatic pieces um, and so I started blending flavor with intention um, and you know that was always one of the things about Ayurveda that appealed to me the most was I knew in my heart for myself what was so powerful about tea was how good it tastes and smells and how powerful that is how it makes you just stop and experience it without experiencing anything else necessarily um, I knew that that was powerfully healing and I knew there was something about tea even though it, it wasn't the synthetic concentration or a homeopathic remedy or this or that I knew that it was really special and a really um, important vehicle for how to help people so you know I guess that's, I think your question was, how did it all start? Yeah, beginning into it? interest in herbs. Yeah, and that's really where it came from. I've always loved uh, the things in the garden that we used, you know, to cook with and, um, you know, just the simple mint and chamomile and those things that just grow readily and freely um, that, you know, you can make tea with. Um, so those have always been there and just sort of talking to me. Well, it's an interesting thing that you've you just brought up chamomile and mint. So chamomile is a flower. It grows, mm -hmm. it grows out yeah, there. It grows we everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And it's been used for actually for children and adults, but mm -hmm. a lot for children. And mm -hmm. for, it's, it has a very calming effect. Yeah. And it's something that's available to all of us, yes. really, during the growing season or if we dry it afterwards. Mm -hmm. Mint has is used a lot for digestion mm -hmm. and um it, and these are things that we don't have to take a pill for that's right we don't have to take a, an acid blocker for our stomach we mm -hmm. can we can actually go out there and find something living that can help us and i think that's very universal in in 
our psyche and our culture, it's very universal to understand those simple things and what they're simply good for. You know, it's amazing how we s sort of simultaneously acknowledge and then ignore that basic wisdom, that relationship that we have with plants, you know, as opposed to choosing a simple cup of calming herb to go to sleep. People so often choose, choose a medication um, which sends you down this road of who knows what. <laughs> um, and, you know, but that, that same person will often know um, that wisdom simultaneously, like, oh, I, I could just have a cup of calming tea, and I could just, you know, shut my laptop off at 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. And you know what I mean? It's all, I, I love that about my job. I think one of the questions I sort of answered referencing that, I think one of the best things about my job is when I just, through a conversation with somebody, get them to realize their own tools, like get them to realize the very obvious basic things that they're not doing to be healthy. It's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. People feel so indebted to me, but really all they're doing is listening to their own story. <laughs> you know, you raise a really interesting point, and, and I think that um, it, it, some of it is really cultural. Mm -hmm. um, if you are in China uh, and you understand the five element or five phase theory, you know that there are patent um, medicines or there are herbs that that you can you just use. You don't go to the doctor for them. They're right. just they're just out there. Or similar to um, Ayurvedic, if you're in India yep. or one of the surrounding countries, you you know maybe I'm more of a kapha or a vata or a pitta, mm -hmm. and maybe I'm going to combine these spices in my cooking or these herbs in my teas. Yeah. But it's really there is a lot more knowledge of what can help us as individuals before we even get to the place mm -hmm. of seeking a, a medical care at a more yep. emergent or urgent basis. Yeah, I think, I think we as a culture have really sort of put our hands up in the air and, not, and, and accepted to not do our part. Like, if we looked at our system of medicine as, you know, the reaction to the final stages of illness, as opposed to, um, and I think it's really unfortunate, and I think that it's, changing a little bit and shifting a little bit certainly but in general it's it's you know an experience with a with an, the average physician is not going to give you um, this great in-depth conversation and reflection on what has brought you to this point of illness and it's not going to look at the basic things like nutrition and emotional experience um, relationships, what your job is like, like all of those things are things that we tend to just ignore when we go about getting healthy in our culture. And um, it's very unfortunate. Um, but I do think I do think it's changing a little bit, shifting a little bit, you know, the the whole alternative healing entity in our culture is, I would say, you know, what, tenfold what it was 10 or 15 years ago. Like, it's really pretty prominent. So that's a good sign. Well, what I enjoy is when I sit down with patients, and because I practice Chinese medicine, I will talk about five phases with them, and I'll talk mm -hmm. about what it looks like to have more of a wood element in yourself or more mm -hmm. of a fire element. And people are thirsty for that knowledge. And they coming are. from a Western doctor, they're almost shocked that I'd yep. be willing to talk about that. And... And the same is true with Ayurvedic medicine, that you actually have to understand that, and I'll let you talk about 
vata, pitta, and kapha, because I know that you make blends that are specific to those um, types. But to know that you are more of one type of a person than another type of a person. So certain herbs are going to impact you in a very different way than they might impact your child or your father. Yeah. But that's a new way of thinking. That's not the logarithmic approach to medicine that we've had for a long time, which is right. if you have this disease, you take this medicine right. and this is what happens to your body. Right. Right. So, so can you talk to me about <clears throat> the Ayurvedic approach to these different types? Well, Ayurveda is really about reflecting on what your body is expressing. And so it comes from that very basic act of uh, what do I look like? What do I feel like? What is my body doing in terms of illness? Um, in Western medicine, we sort of look at an illness as a problem to be solved. Whereas in Ayurvedic medicine, as in Chinese medicine, and they're very parallel. Like uh, if somebody gets advice from somebody practicing Chinese medicine, it 100% of the time is the same advice you'd get from an Ayurvedic perspective. So they come from that same basic um, perspective and science of balancing the basic energy that is in certain ratios a good thing (laughs) for the individual or a bad thing or a place of imbalance for the individual. So... um, you know, you want to you want to look at what your skin looks like, and you want to think about what your emotions are expressing, and you want to look at those symptoms. Um, you know, not just uh, I'm coughing, but am I coughing wetly or dryly, or um, is my congestion in my head? Is you know, all of those things are what we would think about if we were truly reflecting on ourselves in that moment of you know, need for balance. Can you give me an example of um, a person, just a few sentences about someone who has more of a vata dosha versus more of a pitta or a kapha? Sure. Um, Well, the the doshas are the types, they call them, and uh, human beings are a little different than plants and animals where within a species of plant or animal there tends to be a type. In human beings, we all have this, these very individual constitutions. They're generally combinations of the, the three types, which represent really simply uh, vada is air and space. Pitta is metabolical fire and transformative energy, which includes an aspect of water that has to do with flow. And then kapha is earth, um, oil, water, mass, density. So anything that's alive has in its constitution those three things. It, it has air and space. It has the ability to metabolize um, and create. It has um, a presence, a physical presence, a density, water, mass. It's there. And so in people, because we have these very individual constitutions, we tend to be a certain type. If someone's a vata type, they tend to be slender, prominent boned, um, narrow, slightly irregular features, dry skin. Um, you know, there, there are many, many attributes to, to assess. Uh, kinky hair, nervousness, sleeplessness, um, dry skin issues, constipation, ailments are all reflective of what energy is high at that time. So you can be any kind of type 
any dosha and still have a different imbalance going on. Um, but those attributes of each dosha, although they sound negative, it's simply a way to um, use the, that, those expressions as a tool to wellness. So if you compared somebody vata type, skinny, cold, dry, and light, to somebody pitta type, uh, metabolical fire and transformative energy has the attributes of warm and moist. So um, pittas tend to be affected, uh, affected um, through very fiery expressions, things like rashes and hives and um, allergies and digestive issues like IBS as opposed to gas, which would be a more airy issue. <laughs> um, and, you know, they tend to be more medium build and less dry skin, but can be prone to dry skin when imbalanced. And the features tend to be medium, soft and pink, as opposed to long and irregular and narrow. Um, and I mean, again, it gets so detailed. It's like the color and kind of shapes of your teeth, the kind of hair and skin tone you have. All of those things are uh, potentially attributes of a dosha. And then the kapha type, the earth dosha, tends to be full-bodied, oily skin type, prone to things like lung congestion and depression and weight gain. Um, and they're all connected to different seats of the body, different organ systems. So in long-term imbalance, certain diseases will be more prevalent than others. Um, and it's a way a practitioner... Um, would approach healing that person. So, for example, if somebody was um, suffering, for example, from... It's uh, a good one. Well, uh, constipation, just a basic ailment, I guess would be the best way to approach it. They would immediately um, ask questions related to vada. So, like... You know, people think it's so amazing when they come in and they've got something going on and I'm able to say, oh, have you been eating, you know, too many nuts and seeds and raw vegetables? Oh, that's all I eat. You know, they think it's like, they think they're going to contradict the point that I'm making. Um, and they're always surprised that those are the things that, and how did I know and that kind of thing. But it's, you can literally see it expressed in people. You see it in their body, you see it in their skin, you see it in their energy, their mood when they come in. It's very, very obvious. And I think it's such a beautiful thing about Ayurveda that it is so simple, really. It's very complex, ultimately, but really, basically, the most simple way to heal someone because it's really based on those those very pragmatic expressions that are just um kind of they tend to be crying out to the person and when you listen it's powerful the littlest things can be so powerful so and different times of year are associated with different types I know that um, when I go to Sunny's for lunch, you you provide teas for Sunny's, yeah. and sometimes I owe you can, them an order. <laughs> I, I won't tell them. And, and sometimes you can actually you can order teas that um, have to do with time of year. Yeah, you can. Yeah, get I give teas them a seasonal are, tonic. Yeah. So, what time of year? If we're talking in the autumn now, going into the winter, so what type of tea would you offer as a tonic? 
Well, I'm pretty purist about, I do four blends that aren't on my regular menu that I put on the board that I only run um, during those seasons. And one is always the seasonal tonic, um, which were blends that I created my first couple of years open. And they're just, they're pretty complex, most of them. And they're just, they've always just been right on. Like, people love them. They feel really good. They're just the right herbs for that season. So I don't change those, but the other three I change um, every year because I just want to come from a a new space and a new place um, when I create them. And, um, but they are all balancing for that time of year. I, I'm pretty purist about when I change the blends, like I do it on the solstice and the equinox. So it feels a little incongruent, I think, to, to the seasonal shoppers right now that I still get the fall tonic on the board and stuff. But I'll just sort of slowly this week and next week kind of introduce a simple winter tonic and then come up with my winter blends. Um, but this time of year, you know, the it, it's it's very true. The energies um, that are dominant in the different seasons are very strongly dominant in our climate. Um, fall is um, very vada, so there's always a ton of change. It becomes cold and dry, sort of unpredictable. It's sort of a chaotic time. So we need what is really naturally right around us that time of year. Um, to emphasize warm and moist foods, things like root vegetables, cooked root vegetables, and um, things that ground us and add more moisture and more oil to our constitution. Um, The warming spices are always really good in the fall, and we love them in the fall. We love clove and ginger and cinnamon and cardamom and nutmeg and all those things this time of year. and it, and it sort of leads into winter months, which are dominated by kapha, by the earth dosha. So they tend to be cold. They tend to be damp sometimes. A lot of those same warming spices are really helpful in the winter months um, for uplifting the earth energy, which, you know, I think we all really feel. We all get a little bit, it's, it's I always joke that it's great for business because people are sick and depressed in the, in the winter. <laughs> So they come in in hordes. Um, But um, it's very true. Like we're all sort of prone to being a little more depressive and a little more lethargic and more inclined to go inward. And um, it's not that it's not a good time to do that and a good time to relax and restore. But it's, it's also the trick, I think, to keep the spirit up in that time of year. And then you've got spring, which is high pitta, a lot of allergies, everything just warm and moist and getting funky. And so you want to be cooling and you want to promote the flow. The flow gets really blocked and creates all the, all that sort of hot and moist reaction physically by the body. It creates a lot of stress. Um, so pitta is really high at that time of year. And, and so you want to be cooling and flow promoting a little more diuretic in your herb choices if you're thinking tea um more greens which it's it's so cool i think to look at diet ayurvedically because it just very naturally goes along with what is growing right now anyway so you know beautifully that's when all those things like kale and arugula and swiss chard and spinach and beet greens those all pop up in the spring and they should be emphasized therefore Well, Sarah, 
We've just opened up an entire Pandora's box of interesting things that people who are listening to are going to want to find out more about. I know they're going to want to go to your store, probably get a tonic for the, the winter months or the fall. Um, where can people find you? I am located at 195 Congress Street in Portland, Maine. Um, and it's right at the bottom of Munjoy Hill, very near Washington Avenue. As you start going up the hill, I'm on the left. Um, they're doing this horrible construction to the facade of my building right now, um, which is just not timely at all for my Christmas rush. But um, I am open. So um, I hope that um, my sign can still be seen and people dare to come in. There's this scaffolding over the entrance right now. So it's, it's not they, ideal, but I'm there. So you're there, and people can also find you online. What is your website? Uh, homegrownherbandtea.com. Well, I really appreciate your coming in and sharing your knowledge and also bringing your teas to Portland and making your the healing energy of these herbs available to the people who come visit you. You've been speaking with Sarah Richards, who is the owner of Homegrown Herb and Tea. Thank you so much for all the work you do. Thank you, Lisa. You have been listening to Love Maine Radio, show number 230, Tea Time. Our guests have included Ray Marcotte, Ellen Canner, and Sarah Richards. For more information on our guests and extended interviews, visit lovemainradio.com. Or read our tea story in the March issue of Maine Magazine. For a preview of each week's show, sign up for our e-newsletter and like our Love Maine Radio Facebook page. Follow me on Twitter as Dr. Lisa and see my running, travel, food, and wellness photos as Bountiful One on Instagram. We love to hear from you, so please let us know what you think of Love, Maine Radio. We welcome your suggestions for future shows. Also, let our sponsors know that you have heard about them here. We are privileged that they enable us to bring Love, Maine Radio to you each week. This is Dr. Lisa Belial wishing you a happy Valentine's Day and a happy birthday, 15 years, to my youngest daughter, Sophie. I hope that you have enjoyed our Tea Time show. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of your day. May you have a bountiful life. Love, Maine Radio is made possible with the support of Maine Magazine, Berlin City Honda, Boone's Fish House and Oyster Room, Mac Page, and Apothecary by Design. Audio production and original music have been provided by Spencer Albee. Our editorial producer is Kelly Chase. Our assistant producer is Emily Davis. Our community development manager is Casey Lovejoy. And our executive producers are Kevin Thomas, Susan Grisanti, and Dr. Lisa Bellisle. For more information on our host's production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at lovemainradio.com.